and welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast, Patriotic American Citizen. I'm Ted Flint. On the BMG Network, it is good to be along with you as always. It is a Monday evening as I record this, and I'm going to begin talking about the president's recent fall at the Air Force Academy at a ceremony there. And, you know, there's nothing funny about this. There's nothing funny, although I saw a couple of people in the front row laughing when he went down. I mean, the crowd was aghast when he went down. You could hear the the crowd just, you know, they, they couldn't believe it. I mean, it's disturbing to watch what's happening to this president, 80 years old. I mean, the headlines, I mean, I love the New York Post, but the headlines, age-old problem, 80-year-old president falls again, raising health fears. Foolish Dems set themselves up for a fall. Joe crash lands at Air Force. I mean, the headlines are amusing, but what's happening is it's not funny. It's kind of symbolic of his administration and the country. We're stumbling. We're falling down as a nation. It's a metaphor for his administration. You know, more than one person has said to me, and I agree, it's elder abuse. Why would Mrs. Biden let her husband and the nation go through this? He's obviously not up to the task, certainly of leading a country. But again, if he's he's announced he's running again in 2024, is he up to the rigors of a presidential campaign, all these appearances, traveling across the country, giving speeches? Obviously not. And, you know, as somebody pointed out, he's one fall away We're all one fall away from a President Harris. And as bad as Biden is, I mean, Harris could be worse. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I saw something today. It really it's telling about President Trump. I didn't know this until today. When President Trump first heard that Biden went down at the Air Force Academy, the first words out of Trump's mouth were, did he get hurt? I hope he didn't get hurt. That shows you the compassion that Donald Trump has. He didn't laugh or say anything detrimental uh, about Biden's fall. He said, Is he, I hope he didn't get hurt. Now, can you imagine if the, the shoe was on the other foot? I'm not saying Biden would make fun of Trump, but certainly the media would. They'd have a field day with it if positions were reversed. But I mean, it shows you the difference in the temperament and in, in the integrity of the two men. I think Trump, for all his you know faults, he's got a lot of faults. We all do. Uh, he's small at times, going after uh, Kaylee McEnany for uh, misquoting the uh, the poll, and I don't think she misquoted it. So he can be small at times, but he showed his compassion by saying, I, I hope he didn't get injured. At first it was funny, you know, going up, falling, going up the stairs to the, to the Air Force One, but this is, this is not funny. And just looking at pictures, photos of him uh, try, trying to get up, he did get up under his own power. He had some help with a, from a couple of uh, Secret Service agents. But, I mean, I mean, he already, everybody knows he's the oldest president, and he's going to be 82 when he seeks re-election in 24, or 81 and a half, or whatever he's going to be. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I can't believe we're, it's like we're in the twilight zone. It really is, and, and it's, it's disturbing. All right, let's, um, I want to talk a little bit, not a lot, about this debt ceiling battle it where I guess it's over. I guess the House approved the uh, the debt ceiling bill. And I know everybody's talking about a big victory for uh, Kevin McCarthy, but I don't see it. Before we get into the uh, debt ceiling discussion, I want to make mention of this, uh, this file that the FBI has. It's a bribe file, and it doesn't look good for President Biden. And that's why the uh, director of the FBI will not release it. Christopher Wray went toe-to-toe with Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, last week. And Grassley condemned Ray 
for refusing to make public an informant file alleging the president was involved in a bribery scheme while serving as vice president, revealing that he had read the document but declining to describe its contents any further. Grassley's from Iowa. He's a Republican. He acknowledged on Fox News that he had read the document privately but was not going to characterize it before it was made public and said it was not good enough for the file to be seen by only a handful of politicians given the allegations facing the president. They've got to produce the document, is what Grassley told Fox. And Ray is refusing. The FBI believes it's above the law. President Biden, when he was vice president under Obama, engaged in, I think, some unsavory practices. It's going to be proven. The FBI knows it, but they're covering up. The media is covering up, too, because nobody's talking about it. Only Fox, only Newsmax, and in some conservative online publications. Speaking of the Bidens, uh, Hunter Biden, there's an immense catalog of photos from Hunter's abandoned laptop, and they were published late last week on a new website. The first son is facing ongoing investigations into his overseas business affairs involving Ukraine, among other things, and potential tax and gun crimes. He's seen in one video waving a a gun around. The media is like dumb on this. They will not talk about it. Nearly 10,000 photos from 2008 to 2019 will be hosted at bidenlaptopmedia.com after a former Trump White House aide apparently spent months scanning the digital archive, redacting some images, and publishing the rest. But there's a, there are explicit photos of Hunter's sister-in-law turned lover, Haley Biden, and they're sealed from public view. But if you want to go online and check this out, I, I'm, I have no interest, uh, bidenlaptopmedia.com. But I mean, the media has no interest either. Hunter, these investigations of Hunter Biden have been going on since 2017, some of them, going on six years. Why is it taking this long to bring this guy to justice? From Burisma to, you know, to some of these the videos on the laptop, it's just unbelievable. The media won't touch it. Crickets. All right, this debt, debt ceiling debate, I'm not going to spend time on it because I think it's boring, to tell you the truth. It's really inside baseball stuff. But Kevin McCarthy is getting all kinds of praise from not just Republicans, but some Democrats. Speaker of the House, newly elected Speaker of the House, I guess I'll read you a report here from Reuters, which is very liberal. They said that he had to navigate fierce, hardline opposition. That means conservative Republicans. To get this debt ceiling bill containing federal spending limits that President Biden for months vowed to resist. And the uh, bill, approved by a 314 to 117 margin, lifts the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in exchange for cutting non-defense discretionary spending and stiffening work requirements for in, in uh, assistance programs. So they say it's a, a, a bruising victory. The liberals uh, are saying this. It's a bruising victory for McCarthy. The bill gained 165 votes from Democrats. That's more than he got from Republicans. 149 Republicans voted with McCarthy. 165 Democrats voted for it. I mean, what does that tell you? Now, as far as spending limits, I don't know if it reduces spending. It may reduce the rate of increase in spending for some non-discretionary uh, items. But I'll read you another take on it. And, and, and this is in the New York Post from uh, the Fast Takes section. Things look bleak for House Republicans five months ago, notes the Washington Examiner's editorial board, yet they defied expectations 
and passed their own debt limit legislation. The deal is not a blowout in Republicans' favor, but it still has to be considered a Republican win. It cuts $55 billion in spending this year, $81 billion next year. Now, I'm not sure if it actually cuts spending or, again, reduces the rate of increase in spending. But this report here in the uh, Washington Examiner says it cuts spending. Let's see. It simplifies the permitting process for oil and natural gas. That's good. Requires the, the government accountability office to track the costs of all regulations. And it requires a stricter uh, work requirements for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. And it claws back $1.4 billion in internal revenue service funding. So I guess, I mean, it sounds good. But to tout it as a big Republican victory by raising the debt ceiling, I, I heard we're going to get we're, we're raising the debt ceiling now to thirty one point four trillion. It's on its way to fifty trillion dollars at some point in the very near future. That's not a victory. I think we're on borrowed time. I'm not a financial expert, but a lot of financial people are saying this can't go on indefinitely. But it seems to be. All right, what else happening? There's so much here to talk about. I mean, I work for the New York State Legislature, the Assembly specifically, and they are. Uh, in the final week of the legislative session, and I'm telling you, there's some bills in the hopper that are, come, are going to come to the floor this week that are, uh, I think, dangerous for New Yorkers. Now, many of you who are listening don't live in New York, but things are getting really dicey here in New York State. People are leaving, the, the, the high earners are leaving the state in droves. And, you know, all this tax the rich and, you know, sock it to the rich, they're going after the goose that lays the golden egg here. High earners are exiting New York State. I'm going to read you a piece here from the City Journal. The state's share of national tax returns and incomes over a million dollars declined throughout the 2010s. In the wake of a 2021 tax hike on top earners, 8% of taxpayers earning over $25 million fled the state. New York City is no longer the choice for those in the top income bracket, whom the state depends on for around 73% of income taxes. Now, take that in. 73% of our, your income taxes here in New York State are paid by people making over $25 million a year. And I hear these liberals going around saying, tax the rich, make them pay their fair share. 73% is not their fair share? It's unfair to those making over $25 million. Now, most people don't make over $25 million, so most New Yorkers don't care. They say, well, suck it. They got it. Tax them. But they're leaving New York State in droves. So Kathy Hochul better figure out a way, and she won't because she's not up to the task, obviously, she's a liberal Democrat, of keeping New Yorkers who make over a certain amount of money from leaving. They're leaving and going to greener pastures, like Florida, like Tennessee. Both of those states don't have a state income tax. Other southern states, South Carolina, North Carolina. I mean, people are leaving New York for lower taxed and and lower regulated states, and why wouldn't they? On the last program, we talked a little bit about the uh, this movement by these big corporations, these big companies, Target, Bud Light, trying to uh, play the woke game and and, and and voice this stuff on their on their patrons, and people are not having it, and they're losing spectacular amounts of money doing it. National Review has a column in there by uh, Jim Garrity. He says the odd thing is that these branding choices keep spurring boycotts and blowing up in companies' faces, but they keep doing it. The fall of Bud Light from the most drunk beer in America after it backed trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Are corporate 
boardrooms watching? They Are they willing to learn the hard lessons being taught by America's consumers? Why does everything have to be a lecture these days is what uh, Gary writes. And I agree. People don't want to be lectured to. I mean, I don't like it. Most people don't like it. Just, you know, sell your product and be done with it. Why would you want to hurt your bottom line? Bud Light has lo- Budweiser has lost, I forget how many billions of dollars. 25% of its share, I think, by last, ca- uh, uh, last count. If they suspect, if people suspect they're being lectured to, and it's coming from some left-wing, uh, pimply-faced, you know, wet-behind-the-ears, 30-year-old, I mean, they're going to they're gonna fight back. And, you know, it's a dumb marketing move. Anyway, if I, if I ran a big corporation, I would not want to offend the people I'm trying to earn trust from. I mean, I want their money. If you're in business, you're in business to make money, not lose it. Budweiser's losing big money. Target is losing huge amounts of money. I hope they go out of business. I would, I will never, ever in my life ever shop at Target again. Why would you? These companies want to offend the people that are keeping them in business. It makes no sense to me. One final story here. The last week has not been an easy one for Black Lives Matter. We don't hear much about Black Lives Matter anymore, do we? Why is that? In recent days, writes uh, Noah Carl at Unheard, H-E-R-D, Public filings have revealed that a major group within the movement is bleeding cash, while further allegations have surfaced concerning misuse of donation funds. That group, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, raised $90 million after George Floyd's death. But new reports show that its revenues fell 88% last year, and it ran an $8.5 million deficit. Where is all the money going? We know where all the money's going to. The head of Black Lives Matter, this Patricia Cullors, big black lesbian, has a $4 million home. How did she get that money? They're just soaking people left and right, and people are dumb enough to donate their money to these these people. Never worked a day in her life, probably. Unbelievable. Whether uh, BLM, GNF, will in fact go bankrupt remains to be seen, but the more important question is how... It managed to get that money in the first place. Uh, evidently, people, donors are stupid. People are dumb. The same kinds of people who, who donate to uh, a public radio. Public radio gets hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars every year, and they're still every three or four months on the air pitching, begging for money. And these liberals give their money willingly. I guess if, that's fine. If they want to donate to public radio, that's their business. But they should get no tax dollars because they are just an adjunct of the Democratic Party. NPR is, is you know, it's a state-run radio. That's all it is, state-run media. They give the government line on everything. And it's always, if the government's run by a Democrat, I should say. If the administration's run by a Democrat, then they're all behind it. You'd listen to NPR for 10 or 15 minutes if you can stand it. It's, it's awful. The reporters are just, it's sickening. But I listen because I need to know how the other half lives. And they get all this money, taxpayer dollars every year. Trump talked about cutting out uh, NPR funds uh, and uh, public radio money. And I think he should follow through if he gets elected again. You know who's calling for the uh, end of NPR or the end of public funding of NPR is this Vivek Ramaswamy. And I'm with him. He's saying all the right things, as we've talked about. I'll I'll leave you with a, uh, a tweet here. I'm not on Twitter, but one of my colleagues at the assembly is, and he sent me this. This is by D.C. Drano. And, I, you know, RFK is rising in the polls. Bobby Kennedy Jr. in the Democratic, uh, he wants to run for, for the Democratic nomination. I guess he's got 30% in some polls. And, you know, he's one Democrat. I, I'm not saying I would vote for him because he's a traditional liberal Democrat, not as far left as some of the other 
members of the party are, but I mean, RFK, this is what DC Drano wrote. RFK recently went on a podcast with Mike Tyson, of all people, where he explained that the CIA killed his father when he was running for president in 1968. YouTube just deleted this entire interview off its platform. Now, I got the clip. I haven't looked at it yet. This is, there's, I believe in some conspiracy theories. Now, I'm not saying that the CIA did kill Bobby Kennedy or the CIA, he thinks, killed his Uncle John as well, the president. Who knows? I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past the CIA. We see what it's capable of under this administration and under Obama's administration. But the podcast has been deleted by YouTube. Bobby Kennedy is a big anti-vaxxer, and I like him for that. And I, and he's he's got this funny way of speaking, which he didn't have 20 or 30 years ago. It's very halting. And I guess his wife has the same the same uh, speech issue. He said it's because of a vaccine, a, a flu vaccine he got 15 or 20 years ago. That's about going to wrap things up for this program, this edition of the Pac-Man podcast with me, Ted Flint. If you uh, want to contact me directly, it's Pac-Man, P-A-C-M-A-N, at the bmgnetwork.com, all lowercase. Check out the podcasts on the on the website or wherever you listen to your uh, podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple iTunes, wherever. We're on all the major platforms. But go to the bmgnetwork.com and check out some fine shows we have there. My daughter does one, The Essentials with Maddie Flint. Check her out. Check out the the columns we have for you under, under the PAC perspective. And uh, thanks for tuning us in. Don't forget, hit like. Hit subscribe. We need subscribers. And uh, hit share because we need to get the word out there. We think we have a fine product and uh, we appreciate your listenership. We know we have people listening in other states and in other countries. Oddly enough, people are listening to this podcast. We appreciate it. It's not possible without you. And, you know, there's very little to listen to on the radio. They're really, I mean, especially locally. I said this last week. Local radio here in the Albany area is just, it's dead. People are podcasting. They're listening to podcasts like the, the Bobby Kennedy, Mike Tyson podcast. I'm going to look for it. I guess YouTube took it down, but I have a, a copy sent to me and I'm going to save it somehow. Thanks for tuning us in, folks. And if the Lord wills it, we will talk to you soon. The Pac-Man podcast was produced and edited in the BMG studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune into the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.